Blog Talk Radio. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Born to Talk Radio Show. I'm your host, Marsha Witeka. Conversations plus connections equals community. Those are my three C's. The heart of my show is what's your story? It's my belief we all have stories. Some are similar, others are uniquely different. Storytelling brings the passions of my guests to life through our conversations. So be prepared to be entertained, informed, and inspired. Welcome to today's show. Well, hi, everybody, and thank you for joining me every week on the Born to Talk Radio Show podcast. I am really excited to have my guest all the way from Maine, Christy Gardner. Welcome to the show, Christy. Hey, thanks for having me. Oh, my gosh. People are in for a treat, and you are so humble that I already know that about you. But I can just tell all of you that are listening, you are in for a treat today. So as I mentioned, Christy is in Maine, and Christy is the founder of the New England Warriors Ice Hockey Program. That is a nonprofit. And she is also the founder and president of Mission Working Dogs, which is also a nonprofit. And we're going to be talking about that. And we're going to be maybe talking a little bit about the Paralympics today as well, because I tell, I'm telling you, this woman is a master juggler. What she does, she's authored a book. I mean, she is phenomenal. So I thought, now that I've given you that, like, oh, my God, how do I live up to that? Um, why don't you just give us just a little bit of your background, Christy? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. I really like that master jugular jug, jugular part. Sorry. Um, <laughs> you are. <laughs> um, so I live in Lewiston, Maine. I actually grew up in Auburn, Maine, which is just the town next door. Um, and my parents were divorced, so I spent a lot of time here in Maine and in Long Island, New York. I have degrees in photography and therapeutic recreation, and I'm also working on a master's in leadership and organizational development. Uh, so I also joined um, in the delayed entry program in 2004. What is the delayed entry program? What is that? Um, so you basically sign up and work with a local unit until, um, I basically in my case, it was until I graduated from college with my first degree. So I joined and did basic training and worked with a local unit until I was ready to actually leave and deploy. I see. So they and you know, finish. Chrissy, it's what's so interesting, what I so love about these conversations. I wish I was looking at you, but this is just an audio show. I also really love photography. It is really my outlet away from this screen that I sit in front of for so many hours a day. So I share that with you in that love. And I happen to think that Maine is one of the most beautiful states you can ever visit in the fall. Now, that's not to say I haven't been in Maine in other times of the year, but Acadia National Park and, and the coastline of Maine, it is, it is spectacular. But you mentioned something, and I, I thought we could start here, because you, you enlisted in the Army, 
and I, I would, I'm really interested to know because I think that that's a really good starting point that sort of took you to the other nonprofits that you have started. So, when and why did you enlist into the army? Um, well, actually, so I went to college originally for med school um, to become an orthopedist. Oh. The same of my parents graduated with a degree in photography. Um, and so I worked for Newsday for a few years as a reporter and photographer. But really, it's, it's a hard way to make a living. And mm-hmm. I didn't really know what I wanted to do with my life. But a lot of my family, so, um, my uncles and my grandfather and some cousins, were in the Marines and the Navy. And my grandfather was a very proud Marine. So that was kind of always an option on the table as far as a career path. And I truly did want it to be a career, not just a couple of years and kick out, but really I was aiming for 22, and and that's what I was going to do with my life and just continue to serve. Um, Unfortunately, it didn't quite work out that way. It didn't. Um, And you were um, um, military police. You were sergeant. Is that what your rank was? Yeah, I was a military police officer. Um, When I was medically retired, I was a sergeant at the time. And I was a Humvee driver in our patrol. Wow. Well, something pretty dramatic did happen. And frankly, um, I don't know the backstory about what happened. You said you were medically, what the term is you were medically retired. Is that the term you used? Yep. Basically, medical retirement means that you're um, disabled enough to no longer be able to continue in the field. But because I was disabled due to a line-of-duty incident, um, you get medical retirement from the military, not just kicked out. Okay. Do you want to tell us what happened in, that I caused you to do everything? Okay. But I was <laughs> sorry. I was injured in July of 2006 um, while peacekeeping, um, and like I said, it was a line-of-duty injury. So I ended up with a couple of skull fractures, a traumatic brain injury, a spinal cord injury, and some internal organ damage, um, along with a couple other orthopedic things. But ultimately, I ended up losing both legs and two fingers, and I have epilepsy now from the brain injury. Wow. Wow. You know, Christy, I I knew about your legs. I did not know that you um, lost two fingers nor did I realize that you um, have epilepsy from your injuries. Um, That's pretty dramatic. And I think your story moving forward is so... I I, I don't want to get emotional because you don't want me to get emotional. You're not looking for that, and I understand that. But what you have done with your life once you were medically retired is phenomenal and i thought we could just start off with your buddy let's let's start off by talking about moxie because how did your service dog moxie come into your life uh moxie's pretty incredible and you know beforehand i didn't really know much about service dogs or what they do but um when i was rehabbing it was recommended that i look into getting a service dog to help And I actually ended up rehabbing for a year and a half on active duty and then three more years at the VA. So it took quite a while to where I'm at now. So I apologize for the speech issues, but that's part of the brain injury. Um, But I don't hear any speech issues. 
Okay. Well, I, I've stuttered a few and said um a few too many times, but. That's okay. Uh, yeah, but Moxie came to me in 2008 as a cute little golden retriever puppy, a uh, female golden retriever. And, you know, the doctors just said that it might help me. They weren't sure, you know, with how bad I was at the time what she would be able to do. And so I reached out to some accredited organizations and ended up with this cute little ball of fluff. And Moxie, a seizure alert response dog, as well as a mobility assistance dog. So she is able to alert me to oncoming seizures and then also to respond. So she can call 911 on the house phone and open and close the doors to ring the neighbor's doorbell. She's two designated wow. neighbors to approach. Um, so... You know, she can fetch things that are dropped. She can, if I'm having a seizure in bed, she can pull away the blankets and roll me into the recovery position so that I don't choke on anything. Uh, it's just absolutely incredible what the dogs can be taught to do. Wow. So let me ask you a little bit more about that. Um, when she was being trained to be your your service dog, did you do the training or did somebody come to you and together the two of you did the training? Um, nope. So I got lucky. I got to be her puppy raiser for a couple of months because they said it may help her ability to alert. You know, in, in service work, they can train her how to respond when it happens, but alerting she kind of has to figure out. So she was able to be with me for a few months before she went back away to school. And she was in Pennsylvania for a time for training and was ultimately certified through a program in Florida called Canines for Warriors. Okay. Wow. And at this time, I mean, you you said she was just a puppy when you got her. So by the time she got certified um, as Canines for Warriors, is that what you called it? Yep, Canines for Warriors in, in Orlando. Okay. How old was she at that point? She graduated at 19 months. So I had her until wow. she was about six months, and then she went to wow. school. Wow. You know, I've I've heard about dogs that can work with with people with seizures. Um, I I know a little bit about um, how dogs can do exactly what you're talking about for the blind turn you know just it, it's remarkable and she is she is um a lab did you say or a golden a gold pardon me a golden retriever she's a golden retriever okay they're really smart aren't they they are some of the schools yeah. use labs more now because they think goldens are emotionally soft but i find them to be wonderful well, that's great, and you obviously know a lot about that because we're going to be talking about your nonprofits to do just what what's happened for you. Um, I know that you have always been athletic. You were athletic in high school, right? I mean, you were. Did you do track and field and basketball and all kinds of things when you were in school? I did. Yeah, actually, I was one of the few people that had permission from the school to participate in two sports per season. So. Wow. Um, I don't feel very well, I still don't, but I did field hockey and soccer in the fall and basketball and indoor track in the winter and then outdoor track and spring soccer in the spring. Wow, that's that's great. But what's interesting yeah. is, um, 
and I just one of the remarkable things about you and your accomplishments. Um, I happen to know that Moxie, and I love that name. Did you get to name her Moxie, by the way? I'm here. Can you hear me? Oh, dear. Can you hear me? Oh, gosh. I hear you. So I'm hoping you can still hear me, Christy. Oh, goodness. All right. So this is what happens sometimes. I'm hoping that Christy will call me back. This is what happens on a live show, and I will send her a text that will ask her to please call back. And, oh, my goodness, I just, it is one of the the unfortunate things about um, doing a show like this. So please give me just a moment while I send her a text. Um, Please call back. Please call back. Um, sometime, oh, there she is. Excellent. Hi, Christy. May I just tell you, this is not the first time that I've had a call where it drops. And it's just, it's just what it is. It's, it's live radio. Thank you for being so patient and kind and calling back. And I presume that you can hear me now, right? I can, yes. Excellent. So let's let me pick up where we left off, which was that I know that um, that we just talked about how um, athletic you are, and I understand that you and Moxie competed with the Team USA as an athlete on the women's para ice hockey team and the USA para surfing team. Is that right? Yep, that's correct. I don't. I and, and what I started to ask you, and I don't know that you heard me ask this, and so I am going to ask you again because I am curious. Before we talk about this athletic adventure you've had with Moxie, I love the name, and I'm just wondering who named Moxie Moxie. Um, to be honest, I don't remember. Uh, they did give me a choice of the letter of the alphabet that I wanted her named after, and okay. so I picked M, and like, that was a very bad choice. Because in the family, the dogs were Mac, Mocha, Molly, uh, Mia, and I can't remember. There was another one, but everybody got called the wrong name at that point. Oh, that's so funny. Well, but Moxie means you got guts and grit. And to me, there just couldn't be a better name. I'm just saying that's that's how I see it. So exactly. let's go back to where we where we were about this um, this 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 hockey athletic experience. That must have been a lot of fun for you. Oh, definitely. And it still is. Uh, We're still on the team. It's our ninth season right now. And I'm a co-captain or assistant captain, sorry, on the women's national team. And so it's really a blast that she gets to travel everywhere with me (laughs) between um, hockey and the other sports and public speaking and things like that. We probably fly 50 to 75 times a year together. Whoa, that's really something. Well, the pandemic certainly hasn't helped, but I, I don't think, I don't have a sense that anything stops you. So let's focus now on your nonprofits, and we are going to talk about other things as well. But I really want to start on the first nonprofit that you began, which is the New England Warriors Ice Hockey Program. That is a .org. And for those of you listening, uh, it's it's very simple to find. I'll make sure that I include um, all of the um, websites when I 
when I post this later on, but it's it, you would find this under newenglandwarriors.org is where you'd find the homepage. So I thought first we could start off by telling us when when did you when did you start your hockey program? Um, so I started playing actually at Walter Reed when I was rehabbing there with the USA Warriors. And when I retired and came home, USA Hockey's policy is that you're required to play for the team within 100 miles of where you live. And so when I came home, there wasn't one. There was no team within 100 miles. And so I was working at the VA as a rec therapist at the time and decided, well, you know, let's start one. So, but it actually originally started as public skating for our seniors. I had gone over to a local rink and asked if they would allow us to come to public skating, either, you know, at a discount or anything like that to let these folks try to get back on the ice as they continue to rehab. And the rink, the arena staff thought that it may be too intimidating to put, say, like a 65 or 70-year-old out on the ice zooming around with all the kids that are there for high school public skate and stuff. So they actually offered us our own ice time. And that was pretty amazing because it gave the folks a lot more confidence to get out on the ice and try new things. But because of my disabilities, I couldn't stand up skate with them. I showed up in my sled. And then a lot of people were like, wow, what, you know, what's that? What's that sport? How do you use that? And, and so this interest for sled hockey in the area really grew just from that public skating. And so in 2014, I founded the team. And in 2015, we joined the Northeast Sled Hockey League which is a league from Maine to D.C. and as far west as Ohio. And it's called the Northeastern Sled Hockey League. Is that correct? Uh, Northeast Sled Hockey League. Oh, not Eastern. Okay. Correct. Okay. All right. Uh, it, so for those of you that are perhaps looking at that website, you'll see that it it says Northeastern, but it's Northeast, and that's fine. Um, so... <laughs> That's fine. Listen, it happens everywhere. It happens everywhere. So, what I would you say. say is your? What would you say is the mission of of this of this New England Warriors? Uh, we help wounded, ill, and injured service members adapt to their disabilities and um, to benefit from the physical, emotional, and social rehabilitation aspects of being on a team sport. So, you know, to really just get back out there, get engaged with their peers to start building on their physical strength and endurance, um, to socialize, and that mental health rehab, too. Is, is everybody that's in this program, because I'm looking at your pictures, do you, is everybody, um, um, does everybody have the same kinds of disabilities? Are there, is everybody in a sled, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Um, by the rules, everyone has to be in a sled, but not everyone is disabled. So some may just have PTSD or um, a brain injury or a spinal cord injury or be an amputee, and the sled itself kind of levels the playing field. So regardless of your disability, we're all down at that level. I see. That's that's very interesting. How many? I'm just curious. How many of the team members really um, are without legs, like yourself? Uh, there's three amputees on the team right now, and okay. one more that's facing him. Got it. All right. And it's it's a co-ed team as well, right? It is, yep. And although we are New England Warriors and meant for veterans, we do have a few civilians on the team. Okay. Uh, Interesting. Like I said, that the rules 
are that you have to play for the team within 100 miles of you. And since we are the only team here in Maine, the other folks that wanted to play have to play for our team. I see. Interesting. I know a little bit about hockey. My husband's from Detroit. Um, and is the game, it's, it's so cool. This, the website is so cool, especially when you actually show all of this equipment. Your sleds are really awesome. I really recommend people um, go to your website and look at this. So do you, is the, tell us a little bit about the sport. Is it, is it played the same way that regular ice hockey is played as far as scoring and blue lines and all of that stuff? Yeah, for the most part, it's exactly the same rules and things. Uh, the only difference is really is that um, T-boning or nailing somebody broadside with the front end of your sled is a penalty, uh, okay. as well as ice sticking is more of a major for us because our okay. sticks actually have spikes in the back end that we use to propel ourselves forward on the ice. Oh, uh, sure. You can imagine you can lift that over your shoulder and accidentally shank someone in the neck, which is a big problem. You're right. I hadn't thought of that, but you're right. How many? How many people? How many play? How many players are on your actual team? How many? Um, it varies season to season, but usually around eighteen. Okay. And do you have a traditional hockey season that runs from what month to what month? The regular league is September to March, um, and then the fun tournaments are usually in April and May. And did you call them fun tournaments? Yeah, I mean, well, the National Disabled <laughs> Festival is kind of a big, it's nationals, really, the national championship. But it's a blast because you get out of your own league and you play against teams from across the country. Um, and then there's a special tournament that we absolutely love going to in Long Island, uh, the Rough Riders Cup. The Long Island Rough Riders host a tournament every year. And it's a, it's a heck of an event, and they're, the coach down there is a big believer in veterans, so it's really just so much fun and just just a blast for everyone around. They put on quite an, quite the event. Wow, that's so neat. I mean that that's really neat because I would imagine this is a pretty just like regular ice hockey. This must be a very demanding physical experience. It is, and my favorite part about it really is that it, it's full checking and competitive. And a lot of people don't think that. You know, they worry about, oh, you're disabled, you shouldn't, you could get hurt and all this stuff. But I can't even think of a sport where we're allowed to be more reckless than we are. And oh. it's just so because it's so unrestricted in a place where everyone kind of coddles the disabled and then we get to get out there and just slam on people. And, you know, it's, it's true hockey. Even on the women's side, it's full checking. Wow. That's, yeah, that's so that so opportunity. Be physical instead of being handicapped is unreal. I yeah. So so I know you play on the co-ed team, correct? Yeah. Do you also play on the women's team separately? Yes. So those are separate programs. So I'm uh, captain and founder on the New England Warriors, and then an assistant captain on the women's national team. So we play around the world you know, previous World Cups in Oslo and the Czech Republic, and we had a training camp in Korea. Wow. If somebody wanted to visit the website for the Women's National uh, League, do you have a website for that? We're under USA Hockey, so there's a little bit on their website about us, but we're not as 
as the men, unfortunately. It's still growing in the U.S. or, you know, it's still growing around the world. The U.S. and Canada have phenomenal programs. But um, actual world championships is coming up for us. And then we'll get a little bit more recognition for our program. No kidding. Wow. You must be doing something athletic just about every day. I I just, because, wow. That's that's really that's that's really cool and and I I'm 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 really impressed with what you're capable of doing because I know something about hockey and I know how how um demanding that sport is. Is it the same length of time that you play? Is it, are there are there three periods? It's three periods. It varies a little bit by the event. Uh, depending on what the ranks can fit us in for. So sometimes we play 15-minute running periods instead of the standard 20-minute period. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, it's, it's normal hockey. The only other real difference is that we obviously don't hop over the boards in our sleds. So right. most of the time we sit on the rink right in front of the bench, and you've kind of got to push the puck back into play when it comes, and if you don't, you're about to get railed. But... Um, at the higher level events like the Paralympics and World Championships, they have special benches that are full of ice so you skate in and skate out of the bench. Oh, I see. Interesting. That's that's really cool. Well, that's just one part of you. Let's talk about what came next with in twenty twenty. So just fairly recent when you started your mission working dogs nonprofit. Um, why did you why did you decide to create that nonprofit? So I've seen what Moxie's done for my life and what service dogs do for folks in general. And I had worked for a Labrador breeder and we got approached regularly for puppies for different service dog programs. So they had taught me how to select proper puppies and start puppy raising and, and the basics there. So I've actually been doing that for about nine years, training service dogs and therapy dogs. But there was such a great need here in our area that I couldn't keep up with the demand. So I founded the actual foundation, and we have a full board of directors and veterinarian and trainers and all kinds of different disability advocates on our board. That's wonderful. I, the website's really cool, too, by the way, because you've got these <laughs> fabulous pictures of dogs that are just magnificent looking and i would recommend that for those of you listening if while you're listening you'd like to visit this website it simply is missionworkingdogs.org so how does how does how does i know how i happen to have a very close friend that works for an organization called guide dogs of america and yep. they're basically for people that are blind and she is currently raising a puppy as we speak. I, in fact, I did puppy training with her dog yesterday, so I know a little bit about this subject. And like you said, it's incredible when people that don't know what animals, what dogs are capable of doing that keeps you safe, that keeps you falling, that keeps you from, you know, like you said, putting the lights on, recognizing by your smell that, uh uh-oh, we've got a problem here. Uh, It is just it's it's almost hard to, to conceive, and I just think that it's just so remarkable. So, let's talk about what your what your program work actually does. Let's talk about what you do in Mission Working Dogs. 
Sure. So if folks do go on our website and check it out, it explains a little bit about our program. Right now we offer service dogs for PTSD as well as mobility, um, mobility assistance and balance work that way. Um, I'm in training now for autism service dogs, but that will be a ways off before we can start to offer that as well. And folks nice. could apply right through our and then enter the process for interviews and background checks. But it takes us about a year to two years to train a dog, depending on the dog's age when it enters training, as well as what tasks it needs to be trained for. So mm-hmm. say someone is a, a wheelchair user, but they're paralyzed more from the chest down. The task that that dog may need to do is considerably different than what a PTSD service dog may need to do. Mm-hmm. And so are you also in the process of mission working dogs, are you also personally, are you also still on the breeding end of this as well? We've started our breeding program, meaning that we've gotten some puppies that are uh, genetically perfect. We DNA test to make sure that we have the optimal health of the animal as well as hip, elbow joint certifications and heart and eye clearances as well to make sure that we can breed purpose-bred puppies that will have a longer working career. Um, I know a lot of programs, including the one Moxie's from, do use shelter dogs, and I think it's absolutely wonderful that they can save these dogs and save humans in the process. But sometimes they don't work out, and unfortunately one of Moxie's classmates had his dog for only about two years before um, an unknown genetic condition caused the dog to have to retire. And so if you can imagine that the bond in the ha- between the handler and the dog, it was so traumatic losing the working dog so early in, as well as the time investment to getting them properly trained. So you really want to make sure they're as perfect as possible going into the game. Absolutely. Absolutely. And there, I know that there's on your on your site there are people that can volunteer and help, and obviously they need to live near you. But dogs that... Say somebody's out here in Los Angeles where I live and they have a family member, they know somebody that could really benefit by this. Is it, do, you, do you have dog will travel? Um, so they would have to come to us, but absolutely, we do serve the entire nation. We're currently planning our, our campus. We're pursuing international accreditation for our program. Um, which helps with a recognized standard of how perfect the dogs have to be, but also helps uh, with, say, the veterans, because the VA will cover all the veterinary care for the service dog if it's from an accredited program. I see. And so in pursuing that, we have to have a fully wheelchair-accessible campus. Mm -hmm. So we recently acquired about 12 acres here in Maine, and we've cleared the site, and the X crew are starting to work pulling the stumps and getting the site ready but we intend to build a fully wheelchair-accessible training center, a separate kennel building with overnight kennels for the dogs, as well as cabin accommodations for the guests. So say you did need a service dog, we would train the dog for up to probably two years, and then you would come to what we call team training. You would come join us for two weeks, and the first few days you'd get used to all of the dogs that we have to offer, while the staff Mm -hmm. assess what dog you bond well with or what dog would be Mm -hmm. most appropriate for your style Mm -hmm. and then you'd stay with us for those two weeks bonding with the dog and learning how to use the dog and learning all the commands and tasks that the dog knows how to do right 
That's 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 phenomenal. And, and I'm as I'm looking at your site, perhaps you can share with our listeners what is the difference between a service dog and a therapy dog. I presume that there's a difference. Is there? There is a huge difference, and honestly, okay. so many people don't. Um, and even with our own board, some of the volunteers that we have, it's a big educational process. So a therapy dog requires less training. They do have to pass at least three out of four evaluations to become a certified therapy dog. But really, their task is providing emotional support and mental health to a community group. They can work in schools and hospitals and nursing homes and facilities like that or be part of like library literacy programs where the children read to the dogs because the dog's not going to judge your your speech impediments. Whereas service dogs are specifically for one individual and just because you have a disability doesn't make the dog a service dog. The service dog has to do tasks to mitigate your specific disability. So like for a blind person, the dog guides them. For a diabetic person, the dog can do um, alert for blood sugar and things. Or in my case, you know, Moxie is trained to call 911 and get the neighbors and roll me into the recovery position. But also for her mobility tasks, she's trained to fetch things when I drop them or to fetch my wheelchair when I need it uh, and things like that. She can do the light switches and access buttons or help carry the groceries in. So it really has to be a dog specifically tailored to the individual's disability. That's just, I, I, I hear you saying that, and it's the, to conceptualize that is just remarkable, truly. Do you find that, um, and maybe you already said this earlier, do you find that, that there are some breeds, maybe because of their longevity or their, like you said, their DNA or just the, the, the temperament, do you find that, that there are some dogs that are better suited to be a service dog over a therapy dog or one or the other? What has been your experience with that? Um, it varies a little bit. Obviously, I love the retrievers, whether it's a Labrador or a Golden. They're what people call people pleasers, and so they really do want to work and they want to make you happy. You know, as instead of like a, a small breed that, you know, maybe more yippy and not interested in, you know, what the ones they call stubborn. You know, obviously mm-hmm. those wouldn't be a good service dog. But there right. are small breeds that are great therapy dogs. That's terrific. What's been the, what's, you know, you're, you're relatively new into the game and it came up during the pandemic. What a wonderful time. Um, what's been the response to um, your Mission Working Dogs um, nonprofit? It's truly been incredible. I really, I knew there was a need here, but I didn't realize we would have as much support. And so our first class is set to graduate on April 11th. Uh, There are four service dogs and a therapy dog in the class. And we currently have 18 in training from 15 weeks old up to four years old. So it's really the outpouring of support and even local breeders donating puppies because honestly buying these puppies that we want that are so perfect, they're around $3,500 a piece just for the puppies, wow. let alone thousands of dollars worth of training hours that go into them. Right. You know, and our annual budget easily be spent on just adopting dogs, and, and that's a huge burden. So to be able to have the local breeders really support us has been incredible. I bet. And I would just say that, frankly, anybody listening, 
can also support you as well. There, you know, they, you could you can actually um, make a financial contribution to Mission Working Dogs and and support your organization. And when you look on the, I'm looking at your donate page right now, and you just want to hug that dog. I mean, it's <laughs> just it's just a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful dog. How does it make you feel, really, being involved in this, knowing yourself that you have um, been the recipient of this kind of help yourself? How does it make you feel to be able to to provide this kind of support to others? You know, it's truly life-saving, and you may not see that from the outside. You'll see us working in the store and think, wow, that dog is really well-behaved. But to know that the difference they truly make in our lives every day and to have folks or, you know, especially other veterans and even people just struggling through the pandemic say, you know, if it wasn't for my service dog, I wouldn't be here today. And to truly mean that, you know, mm-hmm. whether it's a lifelong struggle or, you know, they did alert to a medical condition before it became an emergency or just the, the mental toll that the pandemic and that life in general is bringing. And when folks say, you know, if my dog wasn't here, I would have committed suicide, it's just... You know, that one dog oh. saved their life. Yeah. I, I want to mention one other thing that I've also learned that I just want to share from a personal experience because I, I, I do know something about Guide Dogs of America, and I've been on, a, on many um, puppy training experiences. And that is, for the general public that does not know this, if you see a dog on a leash that you just cannot resist, but it has a vest that says puppy training. Please do not approach that dog. The way, at least, and, and you please correct me if you do it differently where you are, the way you would approach a dog in training is you say to the person handling the dog, may I speak to your dog? Because you're trying to teach your puppy how to socialize out in public when you are in Home Depot or where you are in the market or where you are walking down the street. And you don't want somebody, some child, rushing up and wanting to hug and pet your dog. Am I right about that? Absolutely. And, you know, most of the time the answer will be, you know, thank you for asking, but I'm sorry they're learning and they shouldn't be distracted. And we get so many people that, Instead of petting, they put their hands behind their back and they get right down in the dog's face and it's just as bad. And it really can interrupt their training and their learning for the day. Right. So it's extremely, especially for, say, guide dogs and medical alert dogs, to not distract them at all. Right. Um, right. But times that are appropriate for the dogs to learn how to greet properly and, and obviously not be afraid of other humans. So we do allow right. and we have the command go. That the dogs know when it's appropriate to go greet other people. Right, you're out in public with these dogs. I mean, perhaps you don't drive, and maybe you're going to take an Uber to the market, or maybe you know somebody's driving. You know, you, you, your life continues. It's just that your life continues with the incredible asset of of your forever dog with you, and and so I think that that's real important for people that are listening to know. I wanted to talk 
about something else because oftentimes, Christy, people ask me, well, how do you get your guests? And it's like, well, they come in a variety of ways. Uh, uh, many come from connections. Many come, thank you for the for the beauty of social media where some people may not be a fan of it, but I happen to love it. I use it for what's good and what is what brings us together. And so I had your very good friend, Eileen Doyen, on my show a few months ago, and she was talking about the book that she wrote with you, which is called Lucky, Little Guy, Big Mission. And the illustrations are fabulous, absolutely fabulous. And the story is so wonderful. It is a book that you could read over and over and over again. I see this. I I have a friend that's a kindergarten school teacher. I see this as absolutely a book to read with her class. The pictures are great. You look fabulous in it. Um, it, it's just, it's just a, it's just a great book. And I didn't know if you wanted to just spend just a few minutes to talk about that collaboration with um, Eileen. Oh, absolutely. And you're right. The illustrations are my definite favorite part of it. It's so cute. Um, but really, it's the story of Lucky Tim, and he's a therapy dog with special needs. He was actually puppy number ten that I trained. And he was born with a malformed foreleg or, or front arm, if you will. And mm-hmm. he saw a dozen specialists and, you know, some said amputate, some said pin it, you know, try to get it shaped right or get a prosthetic. And and really, so the story is of one of acceptance and perseverance of his little life hopping around on three legs with his little crooked front leg and You know, I don't know if he was bullied or anything as a baby, but the story goes on to to really talk about those life lessons and just, you know, how you can be different and it's okay and how you can still do amazing things despite being different. Mm -hmm. And so the book is one of of the other puppy peers in in the story accepting him and seeing that he is super fast and he can swim and he can jump and, you know, he can do everything a normal can do, so... It's a, it's a great story, and um, the fact that it's a true story, I think, also makes it very cool. And I'm sure there was a great deal of joy putting that book together. It, it really, like you said, it, it, it is really physically such a beautiful book and the kind of book that you could seriously see a, 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 a teacher, even on Zoom anyway. I mean, so many, I mean, our kids are really not back in school yet, but I could see where that teacher could just hold up this book and read this story uh, to their to their children i and not just not just i mean all ages frankly because um like you mentioned bullying this you know lucky is um a little different and um and and i think that the premise of the book is just phenomenal truly it's it's just great now We've talked about your nonprofits. We've talked about your book. But as I mentioned at the front of the store, at the front of this show, is you are a master juggler. And you are athletic. And you have a lot of things going on in the athletic world. And I would love for you to share 
with our listeners what's going on right now with you in the field of athletics. Sure. So as you said earlier, I do train basically every day. Um, I list at the gym four days a week. I play hockey one day a week. I throw for track and field two days a week and just generally on the go all day every day. So uh, right now I'm still training for hockey, although this current season was closed. The 2022 World Championships will be the first time the actual Worlds, instead of like a World Cup or World Festival, the World Championship will feature women's sled hockey. Um, But more pressing than that, I'm actually training for Tokyo for the summer games for shot put and discus in hopes that I would have gone to the 2020 games that were obviously postponed. But I'm currently second in the world in shot put. Second in the world in shot put for the Paralympics? Yes, the Paralympics in the wheelchair division. Okay. Wow. So you are second in the world. Yeah. Yeah. So if the listeners would sit down in a chair and practice throwing a ball versus how far you can throw it standing up, I can now seated, throw a shot foot as far as I could when I was in college. Whoa. How far is that? I have no idea. I have, I have no concept of what that distance is. Um, it's a little over 10 meters right now. So oh. I don't know what that is. 30-something. Okay. I was going to say, do the math. What's 10 meters? I don't know. <laughs> okay. Somebody, somebody out there, you go ahead and do the math. I'll tell you what. When this show is over, I will do the math, and I will figure out how far 10 meters is. But, and how, how is, the, is the shot put the precise shot put that somebody standing would throw, or is it lighter? Is it the exact weight? Is it the precise shot put? Um, well, it depends when you say standing, whether you mean men versus women or collegiate versus oh, I'm high talk, school. Okay, let's just talk I women throw- right now. So women, women seated is three kilograms. So it's about the size of a softball out of steel. Okay. So it's heavy as hell. Okay, about the size of a softball. So another, thank you, Christy, yet another math problem because I don't know how many pounds three kilometers is, but that's okay because somebody else that's out there listening does. So that's cool. Yeah. And I'm happy to know that because I really, I, I don't know. So you're All playing it. hockey. You're Training dogs, undoubtedly, because you have a nonprofit with a board, there are probably meetings. Obviously, okay. you want to raise money. I mean, that's that's inevitable for any nonprofit. All nonprofits, do, do, um, you know, rely. That's the word I was looking for. Rely on the generosity of people's contributions, and I'm sure that you would be happy to accept any kind of support that people would like to offer. So um, I would certainly um, recommend that people do that. Um, You also have on your um, site um, some, um, I'm looking at your industries on some online orders. Maybe it's a little bit delayed right now, but it looks like you work with that as well. But... I just I'm trying to I'm trying to visualize your lifestyle. I know what my lifestyle is like. I know before we got on the air you said, Marsha, I just gotta tell you, 
first of all, it's it's pushing nearly five o'clock at my house. Number two, would you like me to tell you how many animals are clearly in my house as we speak? And it's like, sure, because you know you may hear them. So so tell everybody how how, how many animals are in your house right now? Uh, we're lucky right now. I only have eight. <laughs> oh, um, eight. Quite- yeah, I had seven puppies, but we use puppy raisers with our program. So after I get a general feel for their personality and aptitudes, we're able to place them with puppy raisers. So not everyone lives with me. Otherwise, it's a five-gallon pail of poop a day. Um, <laughs> plus, oh, that's right. There's a rescue group out of Philly as well when I'm not too, too busy. Mm-hmm. So I have two, oh, actually nine. I have two foster cats, my two cats my service dog, Moxie, and then four of our trainees currently here. So it's definitely wow. crazy. How, how, how old are they when you are um, having them in your home? How old are they able to be, to be going into um, training? We get them from the breeders typically at eight weeks old. Um, mm-hmm. I love with them right from the get-go getting a good foundation so that they don't have any bad habits we have to wean out mm-hmm. but then they can't actually start working public until they're fully vaccinated so that's anywhere between 12 and 16 weeks depending on the okay. breeder's schedule okay and so, so it's a puppy okay. here and then once it's broken they can go off to their razors i see do you have a lot of people anxious willing and able to to be the puppy raisers? I wouldn't say a lot. We have many, though. Um, the hard part is really finding exactly what we need. So right. while it, you have to be basically be a dog lover that either doesn't yes. have a dog or has a well-behaved dog, because if you have a crazy rescue that has no manners and jumps and barks and all that, the little puppy is going to learn from it. Right. So Finding a, a dog lover that doesn't have a dog that has time to commit to this program is, is a challenge, as well as they would have to be in a position to come to training classes with us. Mm-hmm. So most of our puppy raisers live within an hour or two of our area and come to weekly class. Got it. it it's interesting, as I, I keep mentioning guide dogs, and like I said, I was just with my friend yesterday. Um, she was having a socialization day and she you know and so I was being as much trained as the dog was but <laughs> it, it, it because you know I said what do you what do you want me to do she said just stand okay so that that's what I did but I just I, I the dedication that goes into doing this and you know when I first when we first when I first started knowing about guide dogs of America and I would hear her say leave it you know, with a voice like, oh, my God, did she? who's she yelling at? And it's like, no, do not be alarmed by this. You are really training this dog, and this dog needs to take instruction. It's not me- meant to be, oh, you're being so mean to my puppy. No, this dog, is, this dog is going through basic training like you did when you were in the Army, you know, right? Would you say it, 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 you're, not, you're not there to sweet love? You're going to love the dog. You're going you're gonna to compliment the dog. There's going to always be kibble in your hand, and you're going to reward the dog. But make no mistake, you are really training this dog, and so therefore you need to be trained to know how to train the dog, right? Absolutely. And honestly, it was funny. I was working with one of our dogs in a local store the other day, and 
we do teach them left and right and things like that because you obviously don't want to be jerking on the leash. You should be able to tell them where to go and they should know where to go. But we come to the end of an aisle and I said, halt. And the lady in front of me froze like I was addressing her. And, oh. You know, because you <laughs> with voice. So she was like, oh, what I do? <laughs> like, no, I was talking to the dog. <laughs> I think that that's another added bonus plus however you want to describe it. Um, when people, you know, are working with service dogs, and we're just talk- I, we're talking about your organization, we're talking about the organization I'm referring to. They're not the only two in the country, and but I think that what happens is that in so many ways, and maybe this is something that you'll ultimately have in your program, is you are ambassadors. You are you are you are doing. It's 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 emotional. It's more than just having this dog be prepared to go and live in a home wherever this dog has been designed to to provide the most um, help, whether it's therapy or it's service. But when you're out and about, which is where you have to be, you can't just do this training only in your home. You are visual. You are visual. You are sitting in a restaurant where this dog is laying under the chair or you're walking, like I said, through Home Depot or wherever you might be going. And other people are watching. And it's an opportunity for everybody to win. I see that so much as a win-win. And then you see that somebody's watching and going, oh, my God, this is the miracle we've been looking for i didn't even know there was an organization like this out there that could help my mom that could help my sister that could help my brother whatever or i have the most loving wonderful cousin looking for something to do and this suits my personality so well i know so much about dogs i love dogs I need to find a way to volunteer and to be a part of a program like this. And to me, that's that's just collateral. That's just the other wonderful benefits of doing what it is you do, Christy. It's just, it really is sensational. Uh, and I know when I talk to a lot of people as actively involved in their lives as you are in yours, where juggler that I mentioned before, what I'm wondering, because I, I'm curious about this in your lifestyle, is when you're not working, and I don't know if there's ever, and I, and I use working in parentheses because I don't know that that's what you would call it, but when you're not actively engaged with the animals and your nonprofits and your, and your sports and all of that, Where's your balance? Do you find that there's something that you do that says, okay, this is just Christy time. This is just me time. Is there something that you do that just fuels your body that way? I mean, honestly, it is a struggle to find time to allocate for myself, but every once in a while it's absolutely necessary for your own, you know, recovery and mental health and well-being. And so my favorite things to do, uh, I really do love to read. Typically, I only get to read on the airplane going to and from. Um, mm-hmm. And to take photographs, 
So I still absolutely love my photography work. My living room is all pictures from Acadia. My kitchen is decorated with pictures of World Den State Park in Pennsylvania. Um, I absolutely love it. I'm currently kind of obsessed with abandoned buildings. Mostly up here it's old farm and old fort ruins and things like that yes. that are just, you know, there's something charming yes. about it. Um, oh, I have year. never met a red weathered barn that I didn't take a picture of. Those are really and the pictures you, in my bath. Acadia, there is, that is a magnificent place to go. But all of New England is so spectacular. And I understand precisely what you're saying in a way because you've, you're, you're familiar. That's home for you. But when that's not home for you and you want to start in Boston and drive up the seaboard and go into Vermont and go into New Hampshire and take – I have some incredible people that I follow on social media, particularly in New England, that will take pictures of grist mills. We don't know what grist mills are here. We don't even have them. We don't have the kinds of bridges that you have. Um, we don't certainly have the trees that you have. That's not to say that where I live isn't beautiful or that nobody would object to going to the ocean and just watching the tide come in. You know, I feel like that was a song. Um, but, you know, so it's – and the mountains. It's not where I live isn't beautiful. It is. But there's just something about where you can go to to photograph those pictures and it, it is really stunning isn't it it is and you know it, it's hard no matter where you're from in the country to really appreciate what you have and so a friend from Colorado came to visit and being landlocked and things it was amazing to me because our airport's right on the coast so she flew in over lighthouses and forts and yep. so she was like oh my god we planned days to go visit those and see everything because she'd only ever seen it in history books and books at school. Mm -hmm. And so to, to be in a real, you know, big stone fort or to go to the Portland Headlight, which is one of the most photographed lighthouses in the world, and, and see yep. these things in person was just, she was just so in awe of it. And it, was, it was incredible to witness and then to appreciate it more ourselves. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think when, when somebody, I, I have a friend that lives in New Jersey. She had never been to the West Coast. And and so when she came here, it was like, well, let me take you where I go. I, I, I call it, I'm going to take my camera for a walk. And I yep. happen to really love birds. And I consider myself a bird brain in many ways. And so for me to be able to go and photograph the pelicans and the egrets and the herons, I mean, that brings, that brings me so much joy. Um, and not every, and you know what? I'm by far not a professional photographer. Um, I, you know, I, I do digital photography. I don't take it into some, you know, Lightroom and go to all these different sites to, you know, Photoshop and all of that stuff. It's, I don't do that. I mean, I just use a website that makes it fairly simple for me to make it straight and, and maybe enhance the color or whatever. But um, I, I'm happy to hear that you do take a little time for yourself. And my guess is you probably do a little deep breathing and understanding the value of 
taking a deep breath as well, don't you? Oh, absolutely. And I just have a general joy of learning new things. Um, so obviously on my bucket list is um, sign language. But last wow. year I learned to love the first time. You learned to, I'm sorry, you learned to what the first time? To lobster, go lobstering. I became a lobster. Oh, oh yes. So I would wow. go out on the ocean twice, pull traps and set bait and drop the lines. And it was an incredible workout. The beauty of being out in the in the bay, out on the water at sunset. And it was just incredible just being there and being a part of it. Yeah, I can remember being in Kenny Bunkport. And, you know, we don't have lobster rolls here. Um, and just experiencing everything that the New England coast has to offer, it's, it's tremendous. But what is equally tremendous, truly, is who you are. Who you are as a human being doing so much, not only to support others, but to just live a life, and, and, I, and I put that out there, you are humble. You are definitely humble, and yet you are so incredibly gifted and talented, and I really can hardly wait. When will you know for certain if you will be able to make the Olympic team? Uh, Mid-June, or June 20th, they announced the team. So June 20th, they announced the team, and then the Olympics are the very next month? Uh, the Paralympics are in August, so the regular Olympics are July. Oh. We follow in the later. Okay, so you're the para. I was thinking, how is that possible? So the Paralympics are in August, but they're still in Tokyo. But you yep, should same know venue. by same venue. Got it. All right, so mid June, June. Well, you will certainly, certainly keep us posted, so that I can let everybody know you are all over social media. You, you're on Facebook, you're on Twitter, you're on Instagram. People can follow you, and I'll make sure that they know that. And I just want to thank you, and I'm so glad Eileen said, Marcia, you have got to talk to Christy. I, thank you, Eileen, because this has really been a special show, Christy. Um, someday I'm going to get to New England. I'm just waiting for the for the the go the the go sign to go so I can jump on an airplane and when I do you will be a place I will stop because I want to be able to look you in the eye and just hug you and thank you because I can hardly wait to do that Christy thank you so much for being on the show today Oh no problem thank you so much for having me and letting me tell my story and if you ever do make it to Maine, you're welcome on the boat for a nice, fresh, straight-out-of-the-water lobster. Sounds great. With or without mayonnaise? Uh, that's your call. I prefer just oh. lemon or butter. Okay. That's always the kind of the joke with the lobster roll. Well, anyway, thank you so much once again, everybody. Thank you for joining us once again on the Born to Talk radio show podcast. I will be back next week. But for now, I'm going to wish you a safe and wonderful and healthy week. Bye for now, everybody.